0: so the the topic is um this general aspect of integrity in the largest terms, um, which um, I started to get interested in, in this in this past year because as a word, it doesn't get articulated in um in many of the teachings, although it comes up in sila and ethical um behavior but um I love the word integrity, and so I wanted to explore that more. I've been exploring that more deeply in my own practice as well as um, when I teach. So I know that you know we start with the sitting, and I think we'll do that again. And about halfway through, I'll, I'll let the sitting sort of be what it is for you, to, for you to depend on the practice that you're grounded in, what you're you're comfortable in. Is anybody brand new to practice that's um, here tonight? So I don't... I I could also give some light invitations, but um, if no one is brand new to meditation, then we'll we'll ground in your own mindfulness practice. And about halfway through, I'm going to just guide a light um, invitation to look at the totality of your practice in the three times so the three times are the past present and future so I'll just sort of um, uh, offer that about halfway through the meditation and then we'll have a um, I'll explore the topic and then we can see where we go from there for this evening so Just finding your posture that you're uh, most relaxed and also alert. And just feeling the energy of your day or your week as you allow the body to settle in. Allowing the sounds and the sensations to just come and go into your consciousness using the anchor of the breath or the body And as you stay connected with the breath and the body Allowing yourself to be grounded in the physical sensations Inviting your awareness to reflect on the conditions that brought you into practice Even if those conditions, at the time, in the past, were difficult Feeling into the goodness, the wholesomeness of that doorway into the teachings Just sensing the beginning of that trajectory that has brought you to the present moment of your spiritual practice, your path. However long or short that feels not needing to judge anything about your experience or any of those conditions. Allowing your awareness to hold tenderly conditions that brought you into the possibility of freedom. Honoring all those events and conditions that both inspired your entry and your continuation on your spiritual path. Invite your awareness to reflect on the current conditions, the current supports, the current factors that allow you to sustain your spiritual practice to sustain your interest that parami or perfection of investigation the curiosity feeling that sense of experiential faith that gets verified over and over again as you stay in practice what are the conditions that have allowed that for you in the present moment? What inspires you today? What motivates you today to explore practice deeper and deeper, what aspects of community has supported you and continue to support you, where you are on your path. Again, not needing to judge anything about your experience or your practice. simply noticing and appreciating wherever you are. Again, honoring all the conditions, all the people, places, and things that support wherever you are in this path of Dharma. We all have a network that supports and helps us that we never walk this path alone. And inviting into the reflection, where do you see the possibilities of your practice expanding in the future? Where do you see the emerging intentions that may yet even be unverbalized? Maybe just a sense of feeling. Just inviting the awareness to rest in the possibility of your future practice. And holding the reflections of your spiritual path within the three times, allowing it all of it to be present for you that which has supported, that currently supports, and that which will support you the stream of teachings and Dharma that flows into the stream and the energy of your life. That stream connects all lives regardless of tradition, belief, that all beings search for freedom and happiness. May all our efforts be contributory to that cause and intention. Love it when I ring the bell of a meditation center that I haven't been to for very frequently for a while, because I never know the sound that's going to come, and it's always like a joy to hear it. Because of course all bells are different, and um, just just having that uh, um, reverberating uh, is beautiful for me. Thank you for having me again, and. Um, usually when I do these evening classes I don't take breaks but that doesn't mean you can't take one Um, so really I invite you to take care of yourself and if you need to go to the restroom or get a drink don't feel um, as any hesitation in doing so Um, uh, so so I wanted to explore the topic of integrity in three different areas, and I, the, I was as I was have been sitting with this word integrity. Um, uh, I did some you know um, looking into what the word actually means, not just its definition, but how does the how did the word come into um, its use and you know it comes from the same root as in Latin as the word integer which is this wholeness, this completeness Um, and it also has relationship to the sense of clarity and honesty and consistency in one's life so then we take that consistency to our intentions our actions our impacts and the consistency of You know what we um, intend in the world making sure that our actions are in alignment that consistency of alignment making sure that our actions are in aligned with the impact in the world and then how do we learn because as we know everything changes including our intentions i mean as the um the the positive movement forward of intentions is to learn what are the most skillful intentions in this moment for the future and so we can only know that by reflecting on what's happened in the past and the present so I have this you know uh, sort of exploration divided in, in in three sections and it's again it's like our uh, it's even like the invitations into mindfulness it starts um, incrementally it starts with um, a component and begins to expand and and include uh, larger and larger numbers of experiences so I want to start with the integrity of person and then I'm gonna move to the integrity of what I call the path which is includes our relationships and, and our actions and then I want to talk about the integrity in the world so you can see the trajectory that, that parallels the practice of starting with a breath, opening to the body going into thoughts and emotions starting with loving kindness with yourself in widening circles to benefactors dear friends, neutral people difficult people and all beings this is the this is this is a way that the, uh, the pedagogical aspect of the Dharma um, uh, uh, I really relate to. So, um, so, you know, in terms of integrity and wholeness of the person, just like all of these practice begins with our own experience, it doesn't necessarily stay with our own experience, but it begins with our own experience because it's really hard to be to have integrity in the world when there's no integrity of self so really inviting this experience of bringing your whole self into the present moment this is what i mean by integrity of self because you know because of whether it's the first noble truth or whether it's just external conditions that cause um, the split in our uh, experience of sometimes we have this experience of leaving parts of ourselves outside the door to fit in or that um, or that the external world is giving us messages especially as marginalized populations or communities that we're less than or not good enough or that we don't look like. And we begin to internalize these messages. These messages become not just what is told to us, but these messages become who we think we are. And so we internalize this fragmentation of um, Uh, whether it's through this aspect of self-judgment or uh, inadequacy or um, hesitation, neglect. These are these glass ceilings that prevent us from bringing all of ourselves into our lives, into the present moment. And this is this has been, was my experience for many years as a queer man of color that, you know, the, the world was telling me certain messages of how to be, how to act, um, what was acceptable and not acceptable. And this doesn't necessarily even have to do with aspects of identity or, or culture. Um, uh, there are just so many messages that we receive that aren 't congruent to this this sense of of who we are, this natural knowing that there is this heart that is available to the present moment that there is that you know that first reflection of the of the sitting tonight there is this goodness that we we have that even brought us into practice. Who would we be and what could we do if we were never separated from that sense of goodness, that sense of, of, of um, wholesomeness. And in the Buddhist lexicon, wholesome goodness is not so much a, a value judgment as a description of what leads to freedom and what leads to freedom, of course, is those conditions that that lead to less hatred, less greed, and less delusion. And so the sense of completely belonging in this life, that that I don't that I don't need to apologize for, that I don't need to judge myself for. And so even in the you know um, the guided meditation tonight or the other sort of meditation instructions that you might receive even around the breath and the body the invitation is always not to judge your experience always to allow that experience to fully be, allow the experience of yourself to be fully be and even if the experience is with judgment can you not judge the judgment? The, uh, Leah Perlman um, uh, is uh, a person that sort of left the um, Silicon Valley culture and um, uh, developed, um, it's, it's really quite beautiful, this series of Dharma comics, and um, uh, it's, it's a way that she um, communicates Um, these teachings in in very visual, we learn in so many different ways anyway she wrote this poem, Can You Love the One Who, and I'm not going to read the whole thing but um, I'll read the, the beginning and the ending of it which relates to this aspect of not judging, allowing all of who you are into this moment. There is one in you who is sweet, there is one in you who is mean can you love them both? Can you let them both be seen? Can you love the one who tries? Can you love her when she falls? Can you love the one who lies? Can you love the one who wails? Can you love your tears? Can you love your worry? Can you love your darkest fears? Can you love your fury? Can you love your crazy? Can you love your sane? Can you love your foolish heart? love your scattered brain. There's one in you who's bored and there's one who's often stressed. Can you love them both at once and she who tries her best? And if the answer's no to some of the above, then can you love the one in you who's learning how to love? To have that inclination even when love isn't present, can you, can you be with the inclination to love? And that's the beginning of the practice. That is the place that you have not left yourself outside of the door. And this is what's so radical about the practice and this, this integrity of self. Because the world is fragmenting us that's part of the the impact on us and we internalize these messages we are reconditioning those messages you know, often we say that the most important things we say in the world is what we say to ourselves, it's not what we say to anybody else because as we begin to recondition the, the, the message to ourselves that's when we begin to influence what we say to others. And this aspect of loving all these, so loving kindness practice, you know, many of you know, some of you were just on retreat, we went through, that there are these archetypes or categories of experience, self uh, benefactor Dear friend Neutral person Difficult person On an archetypal level These are all aspects of ourselves And the practice itself Is is coming into this place Of of loving the totality of ourselves Even those parts that we push away The Buddha said that That, that birth in this human life Is Um so precious, it's like, uh, and he creates this image of this giant sea tortoise that's uh, uh, swimming in this infinite ocean that's infinitely deep. And on, on the surface of this ocean is floating a wooden ring. Float, float, float. And this tortoise, every hundred years, every century, comes up once for a breath of air, that's all he needs to come up for. And the chances of, of us being born in a human life, in a human you know, vehicle, is um, the chances of this tortoise popping the surface through the center of the ring. That's how rare um, this human life is. And he didn't say that, that um, Uh, when he's talking about how precious this human life is, he didn't say that happy people were more precious than unhappy people. He didn't say that um, people who were angry were less valued than people who were calm. He didn't say that people of one gender expression was more precious than any other. He didn't say that one uh, culture was more precious than it. He said that all of human life, all of our lives are so invaluable. Mainly because we, have all, we all have this capacity to awaken. And I use that word on a momentary basis. All of us have this capacity for insight. And the more that we are whole, that we can bring our wholeness to our spiritual activities and our practice, we begin to have this integrity of path. We align ourselves with with the Dharma in, in, in all of the teachings. And it's not a, a cognitive thing. There is this alignment of, you know, through the... Through, through, the eightfold path of intention leading to action our activities in the world which is a relational thing because our actions have impacts on others so aligning the impact with with the action and then the recalibration of our intentions if we make a mistake or if we didn't make a mistake but we can refine this is the learning curve that is inherent in the Dharma that, that we don't attach to any point in the process. We don't attach to any outcome. All of it is evolutionary. So in the, in the, um, in the sutras as it is written There is the case where a person of integrity is endowed with conviction, which is wise effort. Conscience, which is the ethical behavior or sila. Concern and caring, which is the loving kindness practice, compassion. They are learned with aroused persistence, that's concentration unmuddled mindfulness and wise discernment. That's the wisdom factor. This is how a person of integrity is endowed with the qualities of integrity. This is the Eightfold Path that we're talking about. So what is classically um, connected is that you have the wisdom factors intention and wise understanding, leading to the factors of ethics and non-harming or kindness in speech, actions, and in livelihood. <clears throat> and how we learn from that process is through the, the factors of bhavana, the, the, um, the effort, the mindfulness, and the concentration. This learning curve is really uh, an experiment and a teaching in causes and conditions. What are the consequences of our actions? What are the consequences of our impacts? And that's the learning. So, um, in the 60s and 70s there were a lot of studies done and, um, <coughs> if people, they, they found that if people were aware of their, the consequences of the, their actions causing discomfort or harm to others, they would possibly feel bad themselves and, and learn new behaviors. But recent studies um, have indicated that you know, for things like cheating we might not feel so bad in cheating if we could get away with it. You know, if you ask people if it's right to steal office supplies, you know, in in their in their job, they might say that it's wrong. But um, when they actually get away with it, not whether it's explicitly or implicitly, meaning that. Um, Maybe they just think that they're working at home and somehow these supplies float home. (laughs) Or that they may feel underpaid and they deserve something in addition to. Just, you know, these are gray areas. These are ethical areas. And um, it's, it's where we can learn because sometimes we occlude those consequences if nobody else sees them. That's how the mind can, can be so subtle, how we approach our taxes. You know, we live in a market culture. So there is the possibility that the market culture has been conditioned into this experience. Not necessarily intentionally, but the market culture tells us to get the most we can for as little as possible. That's not always the trajectory of integrity. When there's less external accountability, when there's less supports of, of be, the consequences being seen, it takes more internal effort and concentration to practice it. So C.S. Lewis writes, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And it's not so simple anymore because um, the world has so many layers to it, especially with our technology, right? Um, uh, we don't always feel the consequences. We don't always see, and others don't always see, the consequences of words and actions. We don't have that feedback loop anymore that is, is as transparent as it used to be. So we say things on email that we may ne- never actually say to a person face to face because face to face we feel the impact of the words we can we can we we notice their affect even if it's nonverbal and so the extreme of that of course is the cyberbullying that you know that we can feel has emerged A while ago, there was that, and there still may be, sort of the, the controversies around downloading uh, copyrightable material, you know, music, writings. It's it was interesting for me because I was working for a nonprofit and had to um, address someone who, basically, you know, the nonprofit was really doing good work that we were do that we were both engaged in like and there were a series of nonprofits that were doing the same good work and they were lifting text and copy from those organizations without even changing a single word And I do believe that from this person's point of view it was unconscious but they didn't see they didn't see any of the consequences of their of of their of their actions that there is an impact even if no one calls you on this thing called plagiarism you know there's an impact on on one's integrity and one's credibility and one's effectiveness in the world I was just um, having, I'm, I'm staying on, on um, East 71st Street with a um, friend from graduate school and our parents are about the same age in their early 90s. And she was describing an incident in which you know, this lack of integrity, this lack of, um, of feeling the, the impact of consequences is now institutionalized in such a subtle level So her 90-year-old father got his identity stolen. He hardly ever uses his credit card, right? And um, he's hardly actually ever, hardly out of the house. So somehow someone not only got his social security number and um, credit card number, but, but his phone number somehow without having needing to touch his actual phone got forwarded to another number which means that you know the scam artists could call a credit card order it they'll call to get verified and it would get call forwarded to the scam people completely bypassing my friend's father so for a while He never received any of his incoming phone calls. He didn't know because he could make outgoing phone calls. And so these people created new uh, credit reports, you know, charges. And when the charges of $45,000 came up on the credit card, something, you know, they, they knew that something was wrong. And as they were talking to the banks, they found out that. No one is doing anything about this. It happens all the time, frequently and no one is doing this because the bank's insurance policies more than pay the losses. And the insurance companies get paid because the the insurance coverage is so incrementally passed on to every transaction, we don't know it. And so there's no motivation to change this. This is this is, you know, how insidious the um, the the lack of of awareness of the consequences of our actions can go. And really, sometimes. Life is more complicated than black and white. So um, we can have you know these highest in- intentions of bringing integrity, of bringing clarity, of bringing alignment to those things that i was that I was talking about, and we may not be able to actualize them. Michael Jensen, who's a, a professor at Harvard Business School, says. Many people focus on keeping their word, but one needs to consider how to maintain one's integrity when one cannot keep their word. What's the gray area for you? Have you ever been caught in that situation that there, it's not about right and wrong? You you think that there should be a right and wrong. I was, you know, recently. Uh, caught in this myself because I have a I had a relationship with a close friend who, who asked for my confidence in, in a, in a um, situation that uh, involved an organization uh, and his ethical conduct in it and I gave him my confidence without realizing that the organization he was talking about was an organization that I was on the board of. And all of a sudden I was drawn into this conversation in which he was asking for my support and I also had an obligation to the organization. It's gray. And how do you do the best you can? How do you maintain that sense of integrity even when conditions are pushing for you to break that? So I've said that I've written about this particular passage, but this passage is, is a way of me trying to hold the integrity while the conditions are, are complicated. May I hold this experience with as much awareness, wisdom, and love as possible. And if I can't be loving and wise, can I just be kind and open? If I cannot be kind and open, can I be non-judgmental? If I can't be non-judgmental, can I not cause harm? And if I cannot not cause harm, can I cause the least harm possible?" So that even in my imperfection or inability to see clearly in that moment, which I have, I am still depending upon the fact that I'm doing the best that I can to incline that walking, to err on the side of my highest intentions. This conditioning, I think, is so important because it it really sets the seeds, it plants the seeds for our future experience. My mom is 97 and she's living in this um, collective living um, um, uh, community, you know, staged. She's in the independent. Place and they have vans to take them to um, shopping and the doctors and you sign up for the van and she was saying that um, she's begun to notice that when she goes up to the to it it changes whether you go to sign up for the van in the beginning of the morning or in the end of the morning when the van begins to leave because what she's noticed is is that and these are people who are like my mother, they're the elderly elderly people are crossing people's name off <laughs> in order to pretend that there's an open spot to put their names on it is so important to start as early as we can to recondition this Integrity is doing the right thing when no one notices, that's what C.S. Lewis says. Integrity is doing the right thing when no one agrees with you. Integrity is doing the right thing even if it feels unpleasant, uncomfortable. It is not always going to be, feel like the best thing. And integrity is just not about a personal practice, but a collective one that begins to transform our, our communities. Dr, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King says, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. You can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. There is an integrity and wholesomeness, I'm using that word in a little bit differently, the whole, the totality of our collective paths to freedom. Even though sometimes when we're working for social justice and change, it can just feel like, for the benefit of our community, our particular communities. Whether it's the struggle for civil rights, or same-sex marriage, or access to health care, or safety in schools, sometimes we can think that these issues are particular to the to the communities involved. When um, President Obama last year gave the Presidential f- uh, Medal of Freedom posthumously to Bayard Rustin, he, um, the, the description of it, of, of the medal being offered, Bayard Rustin was an unyielding activist for civil rights, dignity, and equality for all communities, and advisor to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who promoted nonviolence resistance, participated in one of the first Freedom Rides, organized the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, and fought tirelessly for marginalized communities at home and abroad. As an openly gay African American, Mr. Rustin stood at the intersection of several of the fights for equal rights. This parallels Aung San Suu Kyi's acceptance speech in for her Nobel Prize finally that was awarded in 1991 but she received in 2012. When the Nobel Committee awarded the Peace Prize to me, they were recognizing that the oppressed and isolated in Burma were also a part of the world. They were recognizing the oneness of humanity. So for me, receiving the Nobel Prize means personally Extending my concerns for democracy and human rights Beyond national borders Beyond just my own country This leads to the integrity and wholeness Of our experience with the world Because we are interconnected There's that teaching in the Talmud That we don't see the world as it is We see the world as we are Which means the more we are that we see, the more totality we experience, that we can't just see it through our eyes. And that that our path to lessen suffering is not just about our own suffering. that, you know, when Jung talked about a collective unconsciousness, it really, he didn't talk about a collective consciousness, but it implies that a collective consciousness is possible, which is really what I believe that the Buddha was pointing us towards in that refuge of Sangha. That there's a direct connection between what we do here and how we are in the world. that the joys and the sorrows, as I was saying in the, previously that even in the struggles against oppression, we can think that they are community specific, and they're not. The joys and the sorrows of each community are, are the joys and sorrows of all of our communities. You know, the advancement and the, uh, the advancement of, of um, uh, uh, rights of women and um, the work against sexism is not just the issue of women. The celebration of pride, and yet the the sort of the virulent uh, anti-gay uh, violence that is still arising, reactive to the same-sex marriage achievements, is not just the issues of queer communities. The progress of of racial equity and, and anti-racism and multicultural transformation isn't just the issue of communities of color. All of these issues actually touch all of us. So for example, you know, um, and I know that there have been several efforts, but hopefully you know, the effort to create a uh, LGBTQ space at New York Insight has its inaugural event tomorrow morning along with, you know, the beginning of Pride, which is such a beautiful uh, synchronicity. I hope that the entire Sangha can celebrate that, whether they can come or not. that you know, the wholeness of each individual community contributes to the wholeness of all of the collection of communities. The ability to bring ourselves in, bring our whole communities in, gives us such permission to be together in ways that um, are incredibly transformative. You know, of course there's the intention to be welcoming, it is another thing to create the conditions to actually live together. And this is what the Dharma offers us in a way that our external culture does not give us a roadmap to. They just say, do it. You know, we have that ideal. The, the Dharma gives us this incremental path of how to do it. And really it's our mindfulness practice, it's our loving kindness practice that allows us to transform the suffering in the world in a way that doesn't create more suffering. It allows us to create justice using just means. Because so often in the movement to create justice, it, we can we can internalize you know even you know going back to internalizing the oppression we can internalize the injustice so that 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 the means is is flawed and and creating justice through unjust means is not justice. <clears throat> so many of you know, of course, the. Uh, story of President Mandela. And um, so just to recap, when he was released from prison in 1990, they began um, a series of intense, complicated negotiations around the, the democratic um, uh, reform of the government. And so many times it didn't, almost didn't happen and there were many leaders of um, uh, the ANC that were with um, Mand- Mandela was not the only you know singular leader and and one of the leaders who especially was connected to the young people was a man by the name of Chris Haney he was the second most popular leader um, after Mandela and in the third year of these complex negotiations he was assassinated, and it almost completely derailed everything because you can feel how that just tipping point could polarize not just a, a culture or a nation, but a world. And and um, uh, Hani was assassinated by uh, a far uh, a far right wing European immigrant and he was arrested because a white Afrikaner woman reported him. And yet there was this tipping point that that could have thrown the entire country, maybe the continent, into the civil war in a way that they hadn't ever experienced, you know, sort of the, the emerging of, of this polarization. So it wasn't de Klerk that went to the country at the time. It was Mandela. And he addressed the country this way. Tonight I'm reaching out to every single South African black and white from the very depths of my being A white man full of prejudice and hate came to our country and committed a deed so foul that our whole nation now teeters on the brink of disaster. A white woman of Afrikaner origin risked her life so that we may know and bring to justice this assassin. The cold-blooded murder of Chris Honey has sent shockwaves throughout the country and the world. Our grief and anger are tearing us apart. And now is the time for all South Africans to stand together against those who from any quarter wish to destroy that which Chris Hani gave his life for, the freedom of all of us. And so he ended his speech this way. This is a watershed moment for all of us. Our decisions and actions will determine whether we use our pain and our grief and our outrage to move forward to what is the only lasting solution for this country. An elected government of the people, by the people, and for the people. noticing the impulse of an entire culture towards violence and holding that. That's the integrity of walking that highest path against all odds. And Mandela, just like the Buddha, is not a deity. He was a human being. This is possible for us. It has been shown over and over again in our experience with human history. This is possible. This is the reminder of sati, of mindfulness. There is really deep pain in this world. You you just need to look at the New York Times every day. I get it online every day and it it breaks my heart every day. And there can be such healing beyond which we even think is possible. Just connecting us to that integrity and wholeness not just of our personal families, not just of our families of of comfort, communities of comfort, but our universal family. (coughs) I really believe that the Buddha was not just talking about a transformation of our own experience but a social order. And he recognized on a profound level that the root cause of injustice, inequality, is not just economic or social or even cultural, it's about ethical integrity. When an ethically wholesome society supports itself, it can create a healthy system of all those other factors, social, economic, political. And that's why the ethical transformation begins here. Because if we go in reverse You know, the integrity of the world with that example of Mandela. The integrity of the path of aligning our actions to our aspirations and how we live that eightfold path. To the integrity of self, of bringing all of us into the present moment. That is the beginning of this path. It's all one practice. So I've actually um, gone on a little bit longer, but I wanted to just map that possibility out and offer just some time for us to explore this. And I, the way that I would like to do it is just to do it in small groups in the beginning and then open it up to the larger group. So, you know, just turning to um, just turning to maybe two or three other people in the room and I have two questions to to ask that you know whether you actually talk about them or not is your choice but just to offer it as an invitation How has integrity supported your spiritual path? I believe that it has. I believe that in order for you to be here in the Dharma there is something Already that's a practice of integrity, of alignment, of bringing your intentions, you know, in line with your actions and your impact. How has that been for you? And then the second piece is, where do you feel your integrity will lead you? So that's, the, that's not unlike the last piece of the reflection in the meditation, right? So. How has integrity gotten you to where you are and where might it take you? Where, Where's the evolutionary path? So, you know, maybe for a few minutes, 15 minutes or so, um, just turning to two or three people and just framing that discussion. Appreciating what's been shared. Appreciating what's been shared and honoring that everybody's experience. So the last thing that I'll say before we open it up and just, you know, explore what what you explored in groups is that there's there's no aspect of the Dharma that's not relevant in you know because it's all holographic so I really want to encourage um, even though some of you may not be familiar with the totality of the four foundations of mindfulness I want to focus on the fourth foundation which is probably the most complicated but regardless of what the fourth foundation is asking us to be mindful of, all of the teachings, it's the larger picture that the fourth foundation of mindfulness is asking us to be mindful of the Dharma. When does the Dharma show up in our life and can you recognize it? Because the more you recognize it, the more you're imprinting it in your consciousness, in your patterning, So the invitation is to recognize when integrity is present in both yourself and others. You know, sometimes we dismiss it or think that it's like, um, I don't know if this lands because it shows my age, but, you know, there's this book, that was popular when I was growing up Pollyanna you know it 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 can feel sugar-coated or saccharine Um, just a a, a short story about my relationship with my father my father was uh, an academic all of his life he was an electrical engineer he started teaching in the United States uh, during the McCarthy era and so consequently his salary was 25 percent below any white academician of his Peer, and it was like that for years and years and years, and this is a story that I found out after when I was, you know, a teen, in a, as a, I was a teenager. And he only actually transformed that when he became the department chair, and, you know, so as a teenager and as a young adult, I actually criticized him. You know, because I'm, I'm coming from the social activist. You know, like, how can you, you know, get walked over? And how can you, you know, like, like uh, tolerate that kind of discrimination for over a decade? And I didn't appreciate the integrity of his practice. You know, I, it's only now that I can appreciate, you know, given the time and giving the, given the person that he was as an immigrant and the lack of empowerment that he had he was so powerful and so really to you know when the opportunity arises you know i had that i had that inclination to think this is stupid this is like wrong but to really you know open to the possibility that that someone else's integrity may look different than yours and you can actually learn from it so what did, what did people discuss how did that come do we have a handheld mic or great so please with integrity I was talking about how I uh, I feel that a lot
1: of the messages that I've been seeing especially in the media like and film right now have have been impacting me in terms of integrity Um, and I feel like it's a like a direct reflection of market forces right now in terms of just like how little there seems to be and how um, just a lot of the the shows that I watch or that I, I look at it feels like you're very you're lauded if you can kind of be almost psychotic in a way that like your integrity really um, there's a brilliant psychosis to kind of getting away with things that um, whether or not people know but that like and the more that they don't know and the more you're able to kind of weave these things that it um, it feels that it's very just kind of put on a pedestal right now and I feel that it's definitely a reflection of what's happened with the economy and kind of like who um, what success has become and I feel like integrity really it is tied in some way to, to the way that we view ourselves as successful or not successful um, and so I've definitely had moments where I've had to be like oh whoa this is like impacting even the way that I view my own integrity and whether there's a worth or a value to having integrity for myself or whether it's like do you game the system and that's kind of like that's like the true um, measure of, of where you're going in the world and how successful you're becoming. Um, but I also feel like for myself that integrity, it's like I can feel the moments when my integrity is like, uh, and it's like it's a question. Like I can feel it inside of me of like, okay, it's like the wave cresting. And it's like I can feel the wave, the turn with the wave. Um, and so it it makes me realize, like, okay, like it's such a subtle moment inside, that that we are aware, you know, when that when that shift
2: happens inside. Um, so yeah.
0: Mm, thank you.
2: I shared in um, our group that uh, for the past year or so, I've been much more than in the past um, using the precepts and. The, the ritual of chanting them in the morning and um, really energetically, so not just knowing them, but having that as a bodily embodied experience, mm. you know, just even vibrating through my body and how throughout the day that resonates. And it's really, really changed my um, practice of integrity because uh, it just makes it that much more real and conscious, mm. and it's has really um, made me appreciate the uh, chanting one, but just these ritual ways that right. we can create reminders, you know, right. for ourselves, and right. um, and how much when I don't do that, the the resonance is lost. Right. So.
0: Yeah. It's been interesting. Yeah. It, uh, ritual can be a beautiful reminder, which is, you know, a practice of mindfulness, remembering to come back to what's true. Yeah. Thank you.
3: One of the things I shared uh, in relation to where does it lead? Ethical behavior lead, and my thought was that it leads to freedom, mm-hmm. and simplicity, uh, and authenticity. Uh, uh, I can really be totally myself and without thinking of, you know, how to uh, justify all the, any of the lies or the discrepancies and so forth because one of the things about not being ethical is you gotta remember all of the things that you said that weren't really true, you know, you're trying to think. And, so, and that's very complicated, you, you know. So it really simplifies life and also gives me a feeling of Of wholeness and um,
0: cleanliness, right? Right. So that's that's actually a beautiful um, uh, exploration. That that integrity is not just a practice of of action, but it's actually a feeling inside. yeah. 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 Please.
4: Thank you. Um. So I shared about my relationship with my teenage daughter and the many opportunities we have to, um, you know, for one of us to want to be right and where we, um, so I told a story which happened last night where I was very angry and justified and I just was so mad. I didn't even want to talk to her when she said mm. hello. And she've, we have learned to step away then. And so I, thought, I sat there thinking, OK, this is not going to lead us down a good path. What, what do I need to do? And so I just stopped. And I just thought about, as well, a practice she and I have, where I thought about five good things about her. Mm. And then I I asked her to come in the room and to explain what happened. But then I was really w- with her. And so the integrity comes for me in stopping and remembering that our goal is to love and not to be right. And um, mm-hmm. it's something the two of us came to the hard, the hard way. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked what she had done to be receptive to coming in the room and she said, I also thought about five good things about me. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, because I, kn- I knew you were right and I felt bad about myself and I knew mm. that was not going to be a good thing. Beautiful. So it, that feels like a, a, it's something of integrity. Really. Beautiful.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. Mm.
3: It just feels better. Uh, you, uh, you, when when you act with integrity. For instance, if uh, you're in a conversation with a group of people, and there's a, all of a sudden some negative uh, gossip, uh, it doesn't it doesn't uh, for some reason it doesn't feel as good. And when I first started meditating, I guess seven months ago, I asked uh, the instructor, the psychologist, the meditation coach. I said, well, "How will sitting and watching my breath and coming back to it have any impact whatsoever in my integrity or whatever and he said it was like um, well it'll change you it's, it's like um, every time you come back to your breath it's like blowing a feather into a pile eventually you'll get a pillow or something and um, I, I wouldn't have agreed with that before but I, I think that the um, having the uh, now meditated for I guess seven months I've noticed uh, that for whatever reason, I guess it's awareness, and I'm not quite sure why, that that, um, as, as Vicky described, and, and Doug as well, that uh, sensitivity to the, um, uh, just not really wanting to engage in a negative conversation about someone else is much more heightened. Um, not in a, uh, you know, uh, holier-than-thou way. It just seems to be there's an awareness of, uh, of that and um, and when I mentioned that in one of the talks here I guess uh, four weeks ago the instructor had said um, he, he gave a quote from Bruce Lee he said about meditation practice and how it, it's the foundation for everything he said uh, we don't rise to the level of our expectations uh, we fall to the level of our training mm. and that helped me tremendously because while I go to a lot of, um, I listen, I read a lot of great you know, Norman Vincent Peale and I feel great and then you go out and does it, how, how do you really, what really uh, constitutes transformation so as, as you can be an auth- more authentic? Um, it, it really, I, at least I've found that that formal meditation for uh, doing it, forcing myself to do it actually, there's no other way to say it, and uh, religiously, maybe not so religiously, but doing it, um, was the, uh, lit the match, so to speak, so that the, all of a sudden an awareness was created, as Vicky had described, for things that I think build on uh, more and more integrity. Right, thank you. That's it.
1: Well, I'm a jubu, and I <laughs> believe in Tukuna olam, which is to heal the world. And I feel that Buddhism really, really attracts me because it's all, to me, it's a, it's a path to heal the world. And the integrity of that is in the more you can open up to yourself, the more you can open up to others. And if, if that can become contagious, you know, just think where it could lead us and we could have a better world. So that's where I see the second question, that we could actually make the world right. a more integrated and integra- integral place to live for each other.
0: Beautiful, yeah. And we have that experience with our own small worlds, whether it's with our families or, or with our communities, that. You know, when we change, even if we're not imposing our change on anybody else, which we can't, we can't change anybody else, but people notice and people get curious and people begin, you know, the relationships begin to shift. So thank you for that. I'm just, one more? And yeah, one more and then um, I'm just aware of time.
5: Thanks. Um, I was just going to say that um, I think. With uh, when I have a spiritual practice, I become more like sensitive and care more about my integrity than than when I just run, you know, on my own, running around. And um, I I like the inverse nature of when I live with integrity. I don't cause pain to myself as well because I don't have to live with the after effects of the wreckage that I can cause. And um, how easy it is for me to, to see the wreckage but never give myself credit for the integrous things I do do. And um, to answer the second question, I feel like meditation's the only way I can stop or be conscious of what I'm doing so that I don't have that pause and I don't um, yell at the customer service rep or right. you know just it, it's, it's just um, I just don't think it's I don't want to ever give up on trying you know I have character defects that are always going to be there and, um, I mess up and I make mistakes and then I beat myself up for it and it's very painful so I feel like meditation practice is a, a solution to help me be a better, live
0: more integrous. Right. Thank you. And and really to also uh, invite that whenever you talk about that, that support of meditation, you are actually also talking about the support of the Dharma. You know, that that there is this thing that we call mindfulness. And within this particular framework, it is supported by this holographic network of of teachings that are interconnected but supportive of that you know that recalibration of, of old behavior, whether it's the kindness towards the judgment that comes up, or whether it's not speaking you know to out of anger to anyone or you know, that cus- customer service person or you know I was <laughs> I have to love New York, Not, and I, I say this facetiously, but I was walking um, uh, across, across town and there was a car that was blocking the exit of a parking garage and there was a car trying to leave. So I said to the driver, because it was hot and the windows were open, I said, I'll tell the car that you're trying to leave. And he, tur- he turned around and he said, what? And then I went to the car to tell them that there's a car that's, that's being blocked. And she says, I know, I know. And then I think it was un- unconscious, but when she flicked her cigarette, it hit me.
4: <laughs> and it's
0: like, and I just had to laugh. And I wouldn't have laughed, you know, before this practice. <laughs> and i and and so it it you know the the support of the the teachings as a whole is just so important to um, uh to remember that you know again, we don't walk the path alone, and none of these practices walk alone they're in they're interrelated and and so anyway, thank you for having me here tonight and um you know. Uh, this may be a little bit different than than what um, uh, people are are used to in in new york insights so forgive me but um, i told uh, dalila and and Sabine that i wanted to just talk about donna because partially because i love talking about donna and i know that you know this is a slightly different model than the centers that i'm used to on the west coast that are that are based on dana and you have registration fees and and everything is covered and i just want to talk about the beauty of the dana practice that that it that it's not just about you know um, uh... making uh, the requirements but if there was something that you know if there's anything that's said in this hall that changes your life to really honor that. Because we have it in so few places in our life, much less the world. And so, whether you're supporting the teachers or the center, um, we wouldn't have these centers without generosity. And uh, so, if you're moved by that, whether it's through this event or any event, I just encourage you to. Not forget that practice, because you're not just giving to your own practice. This is, you know, I, I sometimes put it in the words that it, it, these teachings are never about a fee for services. It's it's not about you know trying to make that equation. It's you know the heart's equation is is what will support this continuing expansion, and so your consideration is so greatly appreciated and I'm going to invite you to just do a sitting to dedicate the merit and just sitting again to how the body feels both comfortable and alert and however this evening has landed on you just appreciating yourself For your practice, your effort, and the goodness of those efforts. Feeling the goodness of everybody in this room. Offering that merit and goodness for the benefit of our close ones people we know and we don't know, extending to the benefit of all beings, in all worlds, and all directions.